uh, hello, uh, I don't know if I'm doing this right, but I'm trying to send you guys a message about how much I enjoyed listening to your awesome second podcast um, and uh, <laughs> a nice but unnecessary shout out. I appreciate that. I, I think you guys are amazing. It's all about you guys. Um, uh, but thank you for including me. I look forward to the next one. For those words, Mr. Roblard, for those of you who are listening to our podcast, he is our school's global studies director and has helped us to foster our interests in global studies. And with that, let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast, Mom and Chloe Go Global. It's Chloe speaking. We hope all of you are doing well, and I, for one, cannot believe that it is May. April was a whirlwind. We have finally made it to warm weather, so that is incredibly exciting for many reasons. Recently, the Rolling Stones released a song entitled Living in a Ghost Town. In my opinion, it encapsulates how I have felt not being able to carry out my normal routine. However, today, Maham and I are going to touch on the idea that the virus is not the only news going on in the world. I've been watching the nightly news with Lester Holt every night, and while the situation around coronavirus is continuously evolving, I think it is important to recognize that the world still moves. Sometimes, when I watch too much news, I get a little freaked out by the whole situation and wonder if we will ever overcome the pandemic. Today, we are going to do our take on other news going on in the world. I love exploring words that cannot be translated into English because there's something really special and powerful about them. So for our first word of the podcast, I'm going to do it in Chinese, and I chose Yuan Fen, which basically means fate, but it is not the same. There's more to it than that. This word can be used in many situations. For example, if you run into a friend in a coffee shop after not seeing them in years, you could use this word. It also applies to the situation in which you meet someone, but... It feels like you've known them forever. Now, Maham is going to do another word of the podcast. Hello. Um, I'm going to do the word of the day in Urdu. Um, like Chloe mentioned, there are often words in other languages that qu- can't quite surpass the language barrier. So in Urdu, one word that is quite unique is the word takaluf. Takaluf kind of means or represents formality. It's also a form of shyness or being hesitant hesitant to accept something. Usually it's used in different instances, such as if you're going to visit your aunt and she makes you some big meal and you take a little bit, she could say something like, like, don't be shy, get some more. Or in another instance, it could be your mom sees that your aunt made all this food for you guys and she would say, basically meaning, oh, like you didn't have to do all of this. So it just represents a form of formality and respect. Um, so now that we have both words of the day, let's move on to the global issues discussion. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about is Rohingya. So there are stories being overlooked a little bit due to this pandemic taking over the globe, so we wanted to bring light to a few of them. Um, The Rohingya crisis seems to be worsening. Um, For some background on this crisis, the Rohingya are an ethnic minority in the Rakhine state of Myanmar. 
mostly consisting of Muslims. In 1980, the government of Myanmar stripped Rohingya of their citizenship, claiming they were illegal immigrants from Bangladesh, where Myanmar was part when Myanmar was a part of the British colony. In 2012, riots broke out in in Rakhine, resulting in over 200 deaths, leaving around 150 people 150,000 people homeless. Since then, there have been many more outbreaks targeted at the Rohingya Muslims, and over 280 Rohingya villages have been burned down, and thousands of people have been murdered. Hundreds of thousands of Rohingya Muslims have fled their homes, seeking shelter in other countries, primarily Bangladesh. And here's where the more recent problems are: since、um, September, Bangladesh's government has banned the sale of mobile phone. SIM cards to refugees, and ordered telecom companies to impose severe restrictions on internet and phone connections. There is just about no internet service in these Bangladeshi refugee camps. The restrictions have made it difficult for aid staff and government、um, officials working in the camps to coordinate. But refugees themselves have been the most impacted from this, as it has taken away their only link to the outside world. They cannot get in touch with their loved ones, especially family members who are still living in Rakhine, as Myanmar's government has also imposed an internet blackout across nearly half the state. Bangladeshi officials have said the mobile phone ban is in place because of security concerns. However, the refugees believe otherwise, saying it, that it is a measure in a camp crackdown that has also been going on for some time. Bangladesh currently holds the largest refugee camps in the world.、Um, over half of the Ro- Rohingya population has fled to these refugee camps. However, the Prime Minister of Bangladesh says that allowing hundreds of thousands of Rohingya refugees to cross their borders is having a negative effect on their resources and environment, and seek to repatriate the Rohingya from Bangladesh. This internet phone service ban. Is extremely dangerous for the Rohingya refugees who already barely have access to resources, and especially now aid resources. For example, there was a situation where a Rohingya woman was beaten by her husband, and it was a huge struggle to just to call the police. There was it took so much time. So this is a really dangerous situation that needs to、um, be addressed. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Chloe, who is talking about situation in Burkina Faso. Wow, Mom, thank you. I didn't understand the co- um, sorry, not the scope, the scope of the conflict there. It's horrible. Yeah, I didn't realize it's increasing so much too. Because I remember we talked about it a while ago, and I didn't realize it's worsened so much. We did. Okay, so I'm going to provide a little background on the crisis first. And so, basically, what we're looking at in Burkina Faso is that there's been a surge in violence by jihadist local militias and militants, along with some intercommunal attacks. And this has made Burkina Faso one of the fastest-growing displacement crises in Africa, according to the United Nations. And the rapid escalation in conflict began this year with a 544 percent increase. And people who have been internally displaced, and now that number is reaching more than half a million, and almost two thousand people have been killed since January. So, 
there's also been a 650% increase in civilian conflict. And this has made it the third worst in Africa following Mozambique and Nigeria. In January, Burkina Faso passed the Volunteers for Defense of the Homeland Law. This was in response to devastating violence that has caused more than 750,000 to leave their homes. This law provides local volunteers with weapons and training to combat the jihadists, but this law has faced extreme backlash and posed many questions. Some are worried that these local fighters may commit abuses against other civilians, and researchers also speculate that the pre-existing ethnic tensions with the Fulani community will be exacerbated. So the story is kind of new and continuing to evolve, but this really is a scary time in Burkina and worth reading up on. So that's all I have for today, but we're hoping to expand on this at some point. And now Maham is going to address the situation in Cameroon. Wow, that's really crazy about Burkina Faso. Isn't it crazy how all these similar situations in a way where people are being so discriminated against and treated like this are just going unnoticed by the rest of the world. I know. Okay, so let's talk about what's happening in Cameroon. Since October 2016, protests and strikes have turned into a crisis due to the economic and political marginalization of the English-speaking minority in Cameroon. Quoting from an article by The New Humanitarian, since November 2019, there has been a surge of, in violence in the northwest and southwest regions, referred to collectively by pro-independence fighters as the Southern Cameroons or the Republic of Ambazonia. Um, end of quote. 900,000 people have become homeless and 60,000 have fled to neighboring countries like Nigeria, mostly. Um, the four-year conflict in Cameroon has caused at least 3,000 deaths. And according to the International Crisis Group in the Anglophone regions, 800,000 children are out of school, and one in three of the four million people are in need of aid. Aid agencies have had to rely on getting these endangered people into safe zones, which are exemplified by religious centers and former schools. However, the military has even raided the, these safe zones. In addition to this, the government is also making it much more difficult for humanitarian services to reach those in need. In June, the Humanitarian Coordinating Centers was established to, quote, access incoming aid, I mean, excuse me, assess incoming aid, provide guidance on, distri on distribution, and ensure traceability, end quote, according to government officials. All aid agencies, even the UN, have to apply to these centers to gain permission to provide service and carry out aid deliveries to those in need. And this is just um, established to make it more difficult for humanitarian services to be given out to the people who need it in Cameroon. Wow. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about South Africa and just provide some background on the country, which I guess is common knowledge, but also important to this issue. So in 1948, the National Party was voted into power and instituted a policy built as separate development of the races, which favored the white minority at the expense of the black majority and other non-white groups. The ANC, African National Congress, led the opposition to apartheid. And many ANC leaders, such as Nelson Mandela, spent decades in South Africa's prisons. 
internal protests and insurgency, as well as many boycotts by some Western nations and institutions, led to the regime's eventual willingness to negotiate a transition to majority rule. The first multiracial elections in 1994 ushered in majority rule under an ANC-led government. But since then, South Africa has really struggled to address imbalances in wealth, housing, education, and health care. And previously, South Africa had been a very progressive nation in terms of letting people into the country, but now that's changing. And so as Maham and I both discussed, there's a constant theme of people being displaced from their homes. And South Africa is not necessarily doing the best to address this. So to quote the headline from an article from the New Humanitarian, hundreds of African refugees and asylum seekers have staged five months of sit-ins on the streets of the South African city of Cape Town to protest xenophobia and demand their relocation to any other country. South Africa is a country that hosts more than 260,000 asylum seekers, but they have this problem? Yes. In September 2019 in Cape Town, There was an increase in violence aimed at African nationals, killing 12 people and displacing many. Sit-ins began in April, and the UNHCR office in Cape Town and protesters demanded to be relocated to a third country, not their country of origin or South Africa. This is in part due to the newly amended Refugee Act in South Africa, which has limited the working and educational rights of refugees contrasting the previously progressive system existing in South Africa. A Congolese refugee said that this basically means that, quote, we will have to have a government certificate to sell tomatoes in the street, end quote. A 2017 survey cited that three-fourths South African adults believe immigrants increase crime rates, steal jobs, and spread disease. Now, we see the sentiment being shared in other countries about immigrants, which I think is very problematic in itself. What happened to South Africa's progressive sentiment? It's a very confusing issue that still, once again, evolving like many of these other topics we've discussed. Now Maham is going to close the podcast. All right, guys. So that's it for today. I think we discussed a lot of important events, and I hope you all learned some new things and that it distracted your minds a little bit from the virus that's going on. I also hope you can use your experience in these trying times to develop more compassion and help others in worse situations than all of us, such as the people we discussed today. We will all, we all will get through this pandemic as one large community, so it is important not to worry all the time. Have some fun. Take a walk in your yard, Zoom your friends and family, watch TV, and very importantly, get some exercise, whether it just be walking around in your house, walking outside a little bit, if you have a treadmill or a gym in your house. Um, With that, I would like to end this podcast with a quote from humorist Emma Bombeck. Quote, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but never gets you anywhere. Thank you, guys.